The crucial providential positioning of the church is the subject of Dr. Joel Hunter's message. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter has chosen Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19, as a scripture text, and it reads as follows. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he began asking his disciples, saying, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And now let's join in for praise and worship, followed by Dr. Hunter's message, The Crucial Providential Positioning of the Church. Lord Jesus, you came, and you saw, and you conquered. And Lord, we stand this morning as the beneficiaries of what you have done through your grace. Lord, teach us what it means now to live out the calling that you have given us. Lord, we pray that while our minds and our hearts may say, no, I can't do more, that your spirit would move within us and say there's so much more that we can do. Help us to understand what that means, Lord, as we listen to the truth of your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. If you have brought your scriptures this morning, would you please turn to the 16th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, and I will read to you four verses beginning with the 16th verse. Let me give you the context again of where we are. In a ten-year journey towards spiritual maturity, we are in the third year, and we are talking about how God builds spiritual maturity through adversity. In this part of the year, we've, talk, we've been talking about the adversity that comes living in a culture whose trends and values are growing more and more opposite of the absolutes of Jesus Christ. And so we've gone through an analysis of the culture, and we have come to the point of saying, okay, now what? What is the positive response? How is God testing us and saying to us, I want you to respond in spiritual maturity through the context in which I've given you. Now, this may surprise you because I know that many people think of church just as something you go to. But I believe that the church as God envisioned it is the answer to the lack and the disease in society. And God has providentially brought us to a place where we will either utterly fail or we, it will become utterly plain to everyone that the church is the answer. Let me first get, take you back to the time when, when Jesus first mentioned how he envisioned the church. Just four simple verses. He is talking with Peter, and he says to Peter, he sets up the, he sets up the whole situation, he says to Peter, Peter, who do, who do men say that I am? 
And Peter rehearses all of the responses, and, and the responses are basically close but no cigar responses. I mean, they're, they're, they're in the ballpark, but they, they are not, not even uh, close by a quantum leap theologically. And then Peter gives that quantum leap when Jesus asks him, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you're Peter, and upon this rock... I'll build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not overpower it. Now, let me say just three things to you so far that we know about the church from these verses. Number one, the church exists on sound doctrine. The church is here for sound doctrine. This was the first time that somebody accurately spoke who Christ was. And so that was the beginning of the church. Number two, that sound doctrine does not come from human reasoning. That sound doctrine comes from the revelation of God to someone he has chosen to reveal himself to. And number three, that when Christ looked down the corridors of time and he said to them, I will build my church, very important, as God revealed who Christ is, God must also build his body. He said this, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Not only is the church sound doctrine as revealed to his people, but it is also put here on earth for a positive initiative to take the offensive. You see, the church has this all backwards. We, we worry about what Satan's going to do to us. No, 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 no. You've got it backwards. Satan's afraid of us. We're what does something to him. Gates are not an offensive weapon. Gates are a defensive we weapon. And the Bible says the gates of hell will not hold up against the onslaught of the church. Now let me le read what he says that's even more startling. The authority that he gives the church. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you shall bind on earth or gather on earth shall be bound or gathered in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth, you let go its own way on earth, shall be let go its own way from heaven. So not only is the church here for sound doctrine as revealed by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, the living Word of God and the written Word of God, but it's also to make such a positive impact on this world that it has eternal consequences. And here you thought church was just something you went to on Sunday. No, 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 no. I've got something to tell you this morning that may totally deplete you. But it may totally turn you on. I don't know what's going to happen. But let me tell you how important the agenda is 
that God has for us in the next 20 to 25 years if he tarries. Because that's how long it's going to take to build this thing. Some of you have said, kiddingly, what are we going to do after we get done with the 10-year? I'm telling you right today, this morning what we're going to do. All right? This thing is going to take at least 25 years to, to, uh, for God to build among us. Now, I want you just to estimate for a minute how old you're going to be in 25 years. Okay? Now, already, some of you are saying, I'm too tired. Man, 25 years from now, I'm going to be... I'm going to be so tired. Some of you are sitting there saying, 25 years from now, I'll be dead. <clears throat> well, okay, so you're going to be tired in 25 years or you're going to be in dead 25 years. The, the question is, do you want to be tired or dead trying to achieve something great from God, even though we may fail miserably, trying to understand the vision of what Christ is building, or do you want to be tired or dead because you've piddled around for the next 25 years and what is less than God's vision for you that's the choice we have not whether we're going to be tired or not whether we're going to be dead but what we're going to do in the meantime that's the choice we have so let me say to you that not only do we have a choice of whether or not to take on the full agenda of God and to leave behind this little sappy Christianity that only is concerned with how God can, can improve our individual lives. Now, please hear me when I say this. We do need God's radical intervention and healing for our lives. We need God's radical forgiveness, and we need God's power for repentance. But you know what? There are more important things than just our individual lives. And that's what the Church of Christ must understand the church that has that vision that what God is building, He is building with all of us together. And what He is building, He is building not only for us, but for the world. You see, from the beginning of time, God has had two basic activities. If you read it in the book, you will read what those activities were. Number one, He was revealing Himself, both through His creation and through revelation. And number two, he was building a people for himself. Now, in the Old Testament, this people was called the people of God. It was a foreshadowing of who he would ultimately seal for heaven in Jesus Christ in the church. But the foreshadowing was a part of God's character, a part of God's calling to himself, a peculiar people who would glorify him and enjoy him forever. Now, listen to that description in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verse 2. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all of the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Who's he talking to, church? He's talking to you. In the New Testament, it says this in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Same language. The activity is coming from Christ. It says, Christ Jesus, who gave himself, this is Titus 2.14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. The first thing Jesus did was atone for our sins, and by that atonement, not only give us the forgiveness unto eternal life, but the power to overcome sin, to rescue us from every lawless deed. But look what he did in the wake of that. And as a matter of fact, as a prelude to this, and purify for himself a people 
for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Who's he talking to, church? Us. This is for us. And he and and the vision goes on to the end times, to the eschatological community. In Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth are passed away, and the sea is no more. And then he says, And I saw the holy city. Now remember that word city, because that's what we're building, the city of God. Remember that word city. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Remember the, remember the word bride, too. And what was the characteristic of that? The characteristic of that community, of that city, was this. And behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And God shall be with them, and they shall be his people, and he shall be their God. And it repeated that theme, and God himself shall be with them. That was the characteristic of that community. So, from the beginning of time to the end of time, God is building a community. And God has already built it because it's prophesied. Now, here's what I want to show you. It is so important for us to understand that where we are in our society today, the only thing that can be a viable alternative to the way our world is going has to come from the church. It can't come from the conservatives and it can't come from the liberals because they have what is an Achilles heel in both of those positions. It can't be built in the world, first of all, because of the radical sinfulness of all people. You cannot build this by political structure. It's got to be built by God. Let me tell you a couple of stories. I've, I've had a couple of, of, of uh, meetings with some of the ra- some of the some of the leading conservatives in the in the country and some of the leading liberals in the state recently. Let me let me just tell you about those. About a month ago, I was invited to a, 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 a invitation-only meeting of about a hundred of the of the leading conservative citizens of the country that were seeking for a change in the national direction. It was basically made up of three groups of people. Uh, first, uh, business people, very successful business people, uh, to fund these movements. Second, uh, political folks, uh, elected officials. If I told you who they were, uh, you would recognize them immediately. Um, and thirdly, there were very conservative religious leaders. And again, if I told you who they were, you'd recognize the names immediately. These are people you listen to every day, you watch on TV every day. And let me tell you the two things I heard at that meeting because they are so typical of the conservative agenda. The two things I heard are, isn't the country going in a terrible direction? Yes, it is. We're going down the tubes. Yes, we are. Aren't things horrible? Yes, they are. The second thing I heard, wouldn't it be wonderful to go back and recapture America as it once was? Of course, they don't realize that the America they want to recapture was great because it had a vision. It was going forward. You don't go back and recapture something and build something for the future. And that's the Achilles heel of the conservative movement. Conservatives are not great visionaries. You know why? Because they're facing the wrong direction. Conservatives always want to go back to something 
and back into the future. Conservatives are in the business of naming what's wrong instead of visualizing what could be. Conservatives are in the business of damage control instead of vision building. One of the, one of the guys that I've read about for years was there. He's, he's kind of, to my mind, the political genius of the conservative movement in the last dozen years. He's put it together in the, in back, in the background. If you, again, if you're politically astute, you would know the name. He just returned from helping Yeltsin build his government in Russia. And he stood up and he said, You know what? I hear all of these ideas, but if we don't build something constructive that is an alternative, something positive that people can come to, we won't make much progress. And you know what? It'll never happen in the conservative movement. Because the things that conservatives like to do is moan and groan. And I say that being one of them. That's what we're best at, whining. Now, let me go back to the, to the liberal side of the spectrum. Some time ago, governor, the governor appointed in the state uh, a commission to, uh, for uh, domestic violence, to address the issues of domestic violence. And he appointed ten experts around the state of Florida to address this issue. Very important issue, by the way. Uh, a, a growing concern and dynamic in our society. Well, they discovered after they had gotten informed that no one uh, was from the religious community, kind of an oversight. <laughs> so they called me up and asked me if I'd go talk to them, and I did. Now, the conservative movement was Christian-friendly. The <laughs> governor's commission was not. Uh, this was more the suspicion of the religious community coming in with their agenda. And so the first thing I had to do was answer a bunch of charges as I made my presentation. Well, didn't the church do this? And didn't, hadn't the church failed here? And the answer was always yes. Absolutely, we failed. The church has failed miserably in society. If we hadn't failed, these people wouldn't be in existence. We have absolutely not done our job. And so we have to form little government task force in order to concentrate on a symptom of the problem. And there is the Achilles heel of the liberals. The liberals believe that if you address enough symptoms of the problem, that you can really change society, although in their heart they know that's not right. There is an overall depression among the liberals because as positive as they are and as much as they want to do something, they know as soon as they do something, two more things will pop up wrong because they're not addressing the basic entire picture. The conservatives can't address it. The liberals can't... Who's left? The church. God has brought us to a time where we can build a community that answers the basic needs of the development of this society and the church is the only one that can do it. And we can build it as an alternative, as a beacon, as salt and light in the world. And let me tell you why I believe that that's God's agenda for the next 25 years for His church. Number one... I believe he has watched us watch everything else fail. And I believe that he has brought us to a point where we say, you know what? We're all that's left. Church must be more than just a simple weekly religious activity or much more than my small group or my Bible reading or, or whatever I do. It's got to be of more import than that to the world. It's got to take initiative and storm the gates of hell. We've got to come to the place 
where we are alarmed enough about the direction of our lives and our families that we realize no half-term measures are going to succeed. You can't jump a canyon in two small jumps. You've got to be one long jump. You either jump it or you don't. And that's where the church is. It's so important for us to understand that God is calling His people together. And He's calling them together to do two or three things in our lives. Now let me tell you what, the, what I think those are. And I'll, I'll try not to get into the detail of this because if I get into the detail, we're going to be here all day. Number one, I believe that He wants to call His people together to talk about Him. You know why? Because I don't believe that 90% of the Christians understand what God has already done for us. If we did, we wouldn't be going out trying to do it for ourselves. You see, we are more than conquerors. The Bible says that. The battle's been fought. The battle's been won. And every day we take it back and try and win it again. God's already done it in Jesus Christ. We don't need to do that anymore. We don't understand it. We feel weak, we feel downtrodden, we feel afraid, we feel isolated. Christ has already wiped all of that away. Last Sunday, in the 11 o'clock service, um, Brother Perkins was preaching, and so I made my way down to St. John's Missionary Baptist Church to worship with them. My family and I went down, and it was great. I tell you, it was a happening service. And he gave an illustration of being more than conquerors in Christ that I don't think I'll ever forget. He says, you know what? He says, we're more than conquerors in Christ. He said, you know what that means? He said, I'll tell you what it means. He says, Evander Holyfield crawls in the ring with Riddick Bowe. And he's there to win back his title. And he crawls in and they go at it and they go at it for 15 rounds. And at the end, oh, Evander, he's beaten. And he's beaten badly. But he's a champion. He's won. He's a conqueror. And they hand Evander a big old check because he's the conqueror. And Evander goes home and he hands his wife that check because she's more than a conqueror. <laughs> Church, Christ has won the battle. We're the bride. Christ has given us the resource to live in community in this world in love and constructive purposes we only need to let God do it among us. We don't have to win that battle all over again. We're more than conquerors. He's given us the resources. When we, when we sit around, and we, that's one of the reasons we started this Saturday night service. So that we could start to talk about what God was doing among us. We don't understand. We don't hear that conversation outside. And so we lose in our minds what Christ has already done, what Christ has already won for us. Secondly, I believe he wants us to come together and he wants to assemble us regularly so that we can build up the community of Christ. That's one of the reasons that we have these Thanksgiving dinners. That's one of the reasons why we want to build a youth building. By the way, let me do a short commercial here. Let's, I want you to contribute to this youth. Give money. I'm not talking about building a building. I'm talking about building a community. You know, this church is full seven days a week. And on Sunday mornings, we have to choose whether or not we want to educate adults or have to educate children. That should not be that way. And it shouldn't be that if the kids want to come here as often as they want to, and adults want to come here at the same time, and we want to assemble as a church family, we shouldn't have to say, sorry, we haven't got the room. That's dumb. 
We've been piddling around with this thing for what, four years now? If we get $143,000 by February, or by, by, the, by the beginning of March, we can start turning dirt. We've got the permit, we've got, that's the permit time. So let's do this thing and get some room for our kids because we need to assemble, and let me tell you why. We need to assemble so that we can begin to resource each other. This is something the church never does anymore. Now, let me tell you where this has failed in the community and where it's failed in the world and why it will be so apparent if a group of people can do this right. Do you remember that until the beginning of this century, all through history, people lived in community in what was either extended family or in a village setting where there was natural community. You begin, remember at the beginning of this, I've, I've told you this before, at the beginning of this century, uh, many people, this was an, agri- uh, an agrarian society. Most people lived on the farm and they lived with their sister and brother living across the street and their mom and dad either living with them or some place very near. And there was the assembled family. You know what happened to a kid in that, in that society if he got mad at his mom and dad? He could stomp right out of his house and go right down to his aunt and uncle's house and just tell them about it, and you know what he'd hear? He'd hear the same thing his mom and his dad just told him. He did. And then he'd stomp out of there and go to see his grandmother and his grandpa, and you know what he'd hear from them? The same thing that he'd heard from his aunt and uncle and his mom and his dad. In other words, by the time the kid had made the rounds, his values were pretty solid. He had gotten an answer. There was no identity confusion here. There was just an understanding of how the world operated. Meanwhile, the parents had some relief from an ordinary kid. Because <laughs> he was out stomping around his, his extended family, see? There was relief. There was a networking of people. There was a networking of resource, resources. There was relief and there was a con- confirmation of values in a redundant system of a society. Those of us who grew up in small towns had the same thing. You couldn't get away with anything because everybody knew you. Now, there's a downside to that, but there's an upside to that. And the upside is if somebody isn't working correctly. I remember growing up, listening in an alcoholic family. The neighborhood knew that we had an alcoholic family. And so they gathered around me, and they, you know, there were, there were guys that, that kind of gathered around just, as, just as, to be my friends because we weren't tremendously functional. We had the, the support and the knowledge of our neighbors. There was a value there. You know what? We don't have that anymore. There is no connection in, in most neighborhoods anymore. And we've gone from a, a gregarian an agrarian society to a metropolitan society. And God wants us to have those resources, that networking. You know, one of the pastors came back from uh, the, uh, um, a workshop on uh, interracial relationships, and he said something very interesting uh, uh, was a talk about why poor communities remain poor. And they were talking specifically of the black community. He said... Just in economic terms, that a dollar will circulate in a healthy community many times before it goes outside. He said, in the Jewish community, for example, a dollar will circulate inside that community, change hands inside that community 12 to 14 times before it goes outside the community. In an uh, Asian community, 
A dollar will change hands within that community seven to nine times before it goes outside the community. In a black community, the dollar goes outside the community as soon as it hits their hands. Why? Because there's no black, no black uh, uh, business. No interchange. They, they, they haven't got any way to resource each other, and that's why the black community remains poor and remains dependent. Church, listen to me. I'm not talking economics here. I'm talking about resourcing each other emotionally and spiritually and intellectually as well as economically. The same thing happens in the church. You hear a, a, a message on Sunday morning. Where have you got to trade it? Where have you got to talk about it? You go out and you spend it in the world. That's why we remain poverty-stricken. We're not connected. And God meant for us to live connected lives. He meant for us to live every aspect of our life in the glory of God. To, glor- to be reminded how resident God was with us. Let me tell you an experience I had buying a van recently. We decided we needed a van because we travel back and forth to our son at college now and we've got to haul stuff back and haul stuff uh, uh, there and and so we decided on a specific kind of van that we we believed we needed and and uh, we didn't know of anybody in the in the body that sold that kind of van so we we said is there a Christian in the community that sells that kind of van because again we're thinking you know circulating the resources within the community and we're thinking that if we if someone makes a profit we want to know at least a good part of that profit will go back into the kingdom somehow and by the way that's how we that's how we gauge you know, Christians by who we have seen consistently give. Not by who has a little fish by their name, but who over the years has given themselves time and time again in the community for the cause of Christ. Well, there was a person like that, and so we, we just went there and decided before we even went, you know, that this wasn't an economic deal, this was a fellowship deal. And so here we go, and, and the person, the, the owner of the, of the thing, we don't even it didn't even anticipate seeing him, but he spots us, and so he comes over, and, and we just start riding around in a car. And, you know, the whole ride around, we didn't talk about the car or the van more than two minutes. I mean, what's to talk about a car? The thing has lights, it's got windshield. I mean, a car's a car. If you like the color, the car's the car, you know? I mean, how, who knows? People talk about how many cubic centimeters there is. What is a cubic centimeter? I don't even know what one is. I don't want to talk mechanics. I don't know anything about mechanics. We rode around in that car for 20 minutes talking about Jesus. You know, we, we said, we talked about our families. We talked about our churches. This was fellowship. We were having church. We, met, we went in the office, you know, and, 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 I, and I said, you know what, brother, I, I don't know anything about cars. I don't know how to dicker. You give us a price and we'll trust you and that'll be that. And so he says, okay, great. I don't like to dicker either. He gave us a price. Now, I have no idea whether that was a high or low price. I don't care. Because I wasn't there to do economics. I was there to do church. To have fellowship with another Christian. And that's exactly what we sat in his office for a while. We talked for a while. Then we went over to the business manager. Now the business manager is a member of this body. And so we talked about what Jesus had done. He'd been healed in his... In, in his, uh, he had a head injury and God had healed him. And we talked about how God brought him and his wife together. And I mean to tell you, I don't know what I signed. I, I must have signed 20 papers. I don't know what I signed because we were doing church. I went there and we had church for two hours and we talked about God for two hours and we glorified God for two hours and I came out of there so pumped, so much more aware of what God was doing in my midst and I just happened to drive away in another car. 
That's how, now, to me, that's how it ought to be done. Because the deal is subsidiary to the glory of God. And that's what we could build. Redundant systems. Whether it's sports or whether it's education or whether it's business. Redundant systems that continually lift up God. And don't you think that would be so different than what the world has ever known? It would. That's what God calls us to. And that's what I challenge you with this morning. Now, this is a... Again, I don't even expect us to understand this morning what we're talking about. I just want to begin to allow God to paint in us a vision of what others haven't seen. Because that's how he started the church. With one person who could see what others had not seen. And that's how he will continue to build the church. With people who have seen what others have not seen. The question is really this. How do you want to spend the rest of your life? You know, Friday night we were home and there's this Beck and, and Isaac and myself. And we hardly ever have a home or have a, have a time together at home. So, we, you know, we just clicked on the TV and started watching the Friday night funny stuff, you know. And Urkel was on, you know, Steve Urkel. And of course, he's funny. He's kind of, for those of you who don't know, that's a family matters. And he's a, kind of a little black nerd. And you just kind of watch and laugh and so on and so forth. And. Isaac said, you know, let's get a movie. And so I said, we said, okay, go down and get us a movie. You bring back what you want. What he brought back was Glory. I don't know how many of you have seen that movie. But it's about the first black regimen in the Civil War. And it was an absolutely inspiring documentary picture. Uh, it was in movie form, but it was actually a documentary picture of these black men of courage and honor and what they added to our freedom. And I'm sitting there watching this thing and and thought, you know, I could have spent all night watching situation comedies, laughing at nerds. But here I am, and and identifying with them. (laughs) But here I am, absolutely being inspired with some greater vision. Church, you've got the same choice. You've got the same choice for the rest of your life. You can kind of come and be entertained. You know, kind of talk about the nerds of the world. And uh, kind of feel a little bit better. Or you can get so involved in what God wants to build in this world for the benefit of other people. Giving yourself to that vision. Not for your benefit, but for the benefit of others. Pray with me. God, as we listen to this closing song, even those of us who have heard it before, we ask you this, help us, Lord God, to hear it, to hear the challenge of it for the first time. We ask you to begin to reveal to to us things we haven't seen before, things that you want to build. Just here at Northland, um, as a beginner, but what you're doing in your church in general, And Father, we ask you this, that if there's anybody here this morning who has never made that first connection with Jesus Christ, they don't know about the forgiveness of sins, but they'd like to experience that. They don't know how God has given them a plan for their lives and has called them to himself, but they sense that drawing. And today they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let them do just that right now and say, Jesus, come into my heart.
and build my life into your habitat and do with me whatever you want. And God, the rest of us, ask you that also. Give us spirit eyes and give us lives that will build something greater than individual healing. They will actually build the city of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12. Now, we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Church, go from here and pray about this. Pray saying, God, reveal to me what you have given to the church and let me help you build it. In Jesus' name, amen.